Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be at First Baptist Church this morning. Uh, I am grateful for Pastor Chris uh, and the friendship that we have developed over the past year. Uh, I serve as uh, church engagement director for Mission India. Uh, it is an organization that plants churches among unreached people groups uh, throughout India. And my role is to basically get in front of as many pastors as possible on a weekly basis, have lunches with them, have conversations with them around the Great Commission. Now, some of you may say that does not sound like a fun job to talk to a pastor every week, right? But it is. It is pretty encouraging. And I want to thank Pastor Chris for allowing me the opportunity to come and share with you about what God is doing all around the world. Uh, This morning, what I would like to do is to share with you a message called Good News in Difficult Places. And in your Bibles, if you can please turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, And what I want to do is draw out parallels about Paul's ministry and the incredible spiritual needs that exist in India. For instance, as Luke is writing the book of Acts, he splits it up into two different sections. The first 12 chapters are focused on Peter's ministry and the gospel making an incredible impact in Jerusalem and then moving forward. After chapter 12, there's a focus on the Apostle Paul and his ministry as the gospel goes out into the Gentile world and ultimately all over the world. In this context, in Acts chapter 17, there's something remarkable that's about to happen, is that the gospel is going to leave Jerusalem, the Middle East, and it is going to start heading towards Europe. It is God's people that are obedient to the Great Commission, they're faithful, the Holy Spirit is with them, and now they're going to reach Europe and even beyond. But in Acts chapter 17, to give us some context here, the Apostle Paul, who has been passionate about the gospel, sharing in synagogues, sharing in difficult places, the Apostle Paul is chased out of a place called Thessalonica. There's a group of Jews that come out there, and they, when they see the gospel that he is presenting, they end up chasing him out, and he goes to this place called Berea, where he finds people that are devoted to the scriptures, who even listen to what he's saying, but also search the scriptures to make sure that his message is lining up. These same Jews from Thessalonica come down also to Berea, and they chase the apostle Paul out, so Timothy and Silas remain there, but the apostle Paul ends up going to Uh, a place called Athens, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And here's the message that I want to share with you, is three ways that Paul was engaged with the culture around him in terms of being a gospel influence. Can I tell you this morning that if you are a Christian in this room this morning, that God wants to use you to be a gospel influencer? He wants you to not only hear the gospel, but he wants you to communicate and share it with the lost and dying world. Because ultimately, what is the hope for humanity? It is transformation through the power of the gospel that only Jesus Christ can bring. And if we are passionate about the gospel, then we will share it with the lost and dying world around us without compromise and apology. And that is what the Apostle Paul does in Acts chapter 17. First thing that we see that is evident in the Apostle Paul's life, number one, is that he had compassion for the lost. He had compassion for the lost. Let's look at verse 16. Here's what the Bible says. Luke writes, now while Paul waited for them at Athens. 
Something for us to understand about Athens is that it was considered the cultural center of Greece. There was a lot of intelligent people there. It was home to many influential philosophers. So the Apostle Paul goes to a place that was the epicenter for prominent universities, for for knowledge, for wisdom, for intelligent people. These were intelligent people who were saying a whole lot of stuff and nothing all at the same time. Do you know people like that? They say a whole lot and nothing at the same time. Kind of reminds you of our government a little bit, doesn't it? Anyways, I digress. That's not my message, all right? So the Apostle Paul, he goes to this place called Athens, and look at what Luke writes here. He says this, His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So here is the Apostle Paul, a Jewish man, who has been converted through gospel transformation, he comes to this secular place called Athens, and he walks into Athens, and all around him, he sees a city that has been given over to idols. And the Bible says this, that his spirit was provoked within him. The word provoked there means to stir up. It means to be filled with grief and indignation. This is not only a feeling of sadness, and, but it's also righteous anger, but it also conveys the fact that he wanted to do something about it. Why? Because it was given over to idols. It literally means it was under idols or swamped by idols. The Apostle Paul, he goes to Athens and he looks at humanity worshiping idols and his heart is broken because these are people that are lost. They are worshiping the created rather than the creator. I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. And here's the question. When you see brokenness around you, do you feel this stirring inside of you that makes you want to step in and make a difference or do you think it's someone else's job? Can I tell you in Brunswick today there are lost people all around you? They're not just in India or in China or the uttermost parts of the world. There are lost people living in Brunswick who are on the edge of going into a Christless eternity and you and I are worshiping a Savior who is alive and we carry that life-giving message. The Apostle Paul, he looks at lost humanity worshiping idols and his heart is broken. He didn't wait for someone else to go there and share the gospel. He didn't wait for some community community to say, you now have permission to go here and preach the gospel. He said, these are lost people. I have the life-giving message of the gospel. I'm going to go and share Jesus with them. You know, when you see lost people around you, what you shouldn't do is pull out Pastor Chris's business card and say, you know what, Pastor Chris knows a lot about the Bible, which he does, why don't you call him so that he can tell you more about Jesus? Every single one of us in this room who professes Christ has been entrusted with the gospel. And if our lives have been changed by Jesus, we will not be ashamed to proclaim him to a lost and dying world regardless of the cost. This is what the Apostle Paul did. He goes to a secular place and he goes and starts to look at their spiritual condition. Let me take a look at this next slide here. You will notice that these are very common pictures that are there throughout India. There are people that worship idols Deities that supposedly represent something about God's nature, millions of gods in in Hinduism. 
And people on the streets sitting there worshiping idols that they themselves have created, thinking that there is a God out there that they must worship because he has to be appeased. Maybe I've done something. It is a common sight all throughout India. But before you and I can talk about these idols, can I tell you that there's something called American idols as well? Did you know that we too in our culture have lots of idols? Hey, we even have a TV show called American Idol. We, we glorify stuff. We, we have idolatry when it comes to money, when it comes to prestige, to fame, when it comes to things in our lives that we think are important. Think about this. Whatever consumes your time is what you worship. You have made that thing an idol in your life. It could even be something like your job. You devote yourself to it constantly, and it takes away from the priorities that are there in your life, whether it's family, whether it's church, whether it's just drawing closer to God. We, too, have idols. You don't want to know what the greatest idol is? It's you and I. It's what we look at in the mirror every single morning. That's the greatest idol that we end up worshiping. The Apostle Paul goes to this place full of idols. India has tons of idols, but the Apostle Paul, he had compassion for the lost because he knew that they were on the edge of an eternity without Christ, and he wanted to step in. Number two, the Apostle Paul, he communicated the truth. He communicated the truth. Can I tell you, we live in some very interesting times, and that's just an understatement. Truth is relative. You do what's best for you, I'll do what's best for me. Your truth is there, my truth is there. And then all of a sudden when someone intrudes in our truth, we don't believe that anymore. This is the kind of world that we're living in today, but the Apostle Paul, he's passionate about the gospel, but he also wanted to communicate the truth of who God is. Look at verse 17. It says this, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. The word reason there means that Paul was witnessing back and forth between the synagogue and marketplace with those who would listen to him. So here is Paul in a new place. He's going between the synagogue and the marketplace, conveying the truth to all who would listen to him. Paul simply went out and did it. How about you and I? Do we make excuses for why we can't share the gospel? Is this someone else's role to do it? Are we passionate about it or is it just something that we're fine with stamping our ticket to heaven and getting there? You know, one thing that's interesting for us to consider, and I want you and I to have this perspective this morning. If you're a believer this morning, think about this. Where God has placed you is your mission field. You know, we always think about missions that we have to go to another nation, to another people group. But wherever you work, there's lost people around you. You know why God has placed you there? It's not just to make money. It's so that you can be a gospel influence to those who are lost. Whether it's a university, whether it's a school, whether it's a hospital, wherever God has placed you, that is your mission field. So ask the question, how am I reaching those people in my context for the gospel of Jesus Christ? What kind of role do I play in terms of being a missionary? You know, that's why church is so significant and important because Pastor Chris's role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
so that you can be fed the word of God, so that you can know the word of God, and that you can go out and proclaim the word of God. The apostle Paul goes to this place, and he's reasoning with them back and forth, and he, he encounters two groups of people. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, it says this, that certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. The word babbler there, it literally means seed picker. It was a word that is applied to a gatherer and retailer of scraps of knowledge, a praetor, a general term of contempt for any pretended teacher. They're basically saying, we have our teaching, we are having these conversations. Who is this guy by the name of Paul that is coming and telling us about this gospel message? What do you mean there was a God that died and was buried and rose again, completely foreign to their way of thinking. And so he comes across these two groups of people. The first one is the Epicureans. What did they believe? Here's what they believe. They believed the Epicureans pursued pleasure as the chief purpose in life and valued most of all the pleasures of a peaceful life, free from pain, disturbing passions, and superstitious fears, including the fear of death. They did not deny the existence of gods, but they believed that they had nothing to do with man. Would you love to have a life that was free of pain, suffering, and death? All of us would. We would love to have it easy. But unfortunately, we see the historical narrative in Scripture where there is a man by the name of Adam that sins against God. And because of his disobedience, sin and death enter into the world. And Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us, because of this man's action, the second Adam, Jesus, had to step on the scene so that he became our sin offering. He became the one who would deal with the brunt of our punishment and would go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins. You know, when you think about the Hindu worldview, there's a concept of reincarnation. How many of you have ever heard the word karma before? Raise your hand. Some of you may have even used that in your vernacular. Something may have happened to you and you may have said, well, that was just karma. Can I tell you that is a very pagan and non-Christian thing to say. Because here's what karma means according to Hindus in this idea of reincarnation. Karma is basically a consequence or reward from the previous life. So the life that you live today is either a reward or consequence or something that you did in your previous life, but you just can't remember what it is. So if you're a person in India that is begging on the street corner, you have no vision, you're you're just sitting there on the streets begging for money, that is your consequence for something you did in your previous life. If you're a woman that has been trafficked over and over and over again, the life that you're living is a consequence for something you did in your previous life. If you have a lot of money, it's a reward for something you did in your previous life. This is the life that most Indians believe in, that they simply are born, they live their life, and they try to do the best that they can so that they can come back as something better in their next life. You know why I'm thankful for the gospel? Because the Bible simply tells me that I need to be born again. 
That the moment I trust Christ as my Savior, John says, you are literally born from above. God does the transforming work in my life. He gives me a new nature. I don't have to keep living a bunch of good lives. You know why? Because there was one man by the name of Jesus that lived a perfect life, and his death on the cross satisfied God. That's why I'm passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul also came across a group of people called Stoics. Here's what they believed. The Stoics believed that everything was God and God was in everything. So they believed that all things, good or evil, were from God and so nothing should be resisted and they believed that there was no particular direction or destiny for mankind. Could you imagine living in such a way that you don't know what your ultimate purpose is? That you're just going through the motions, you're just living your life, hoping that there's something better in the next life. That this is the worldview of even many uh, Indians that are living in India under the influence of Hinduism. They don't ultimately know what their purpose is. They don't know what the truth is. They do whatever is expedient and convenient to justify their actions. That's, that's the worldview that the Apostle Paul was dealing with, and that's what many Hindus deal with. It is a system based on works. You just try to do the best that you can so that you can be rewarded. Can I tell you, if someone ever asks you, well, what is the difference between Christianity and the rest of the religions around the world? You know what that one word is? Grace. And I'll give you an example of this. Years ago, I had an opportunity to travel to Southeast Asia, and I went to this particular place where you had to climb a ton of stairs in order to get to the very top, and at the very top, there were multiple idols that were represented. Interestingly enough, when I went there, you have to climb this huge staircase, and, then at the ver- and as you're going to the top, there's um, food vendors, and I'm going, this is interesting, you're working out, and you're eating at the same time. It would be like you um, walking on a treadmill eating a cupcake. Some of you may have done it, okay? You're not admitting it, but some of you may have done it. But here's what's interesting is you're, you're walking up these stairs trying to get up to the very top. That's where all the gods are. That's where the idols are. And when you get to the top, it overlooks a city. Here's the comparison between Christianity and the religions of the world is that every single world system out there, every single worldview apart from Christianity, you have to try to do your best to make your way up to God. But in Christianity, God looks down at humanity and he sees that there is an infinite gap between God and man and God has to step into our shoes and take the brunt of punishment that we deserved on a cross. So Jesus steps into history to pay the penalty that you and I deserve. And because of what he has done, I inherit eternal life. Doesn't seem fair from a human perspective, but from God's perspective, that's what he requires, is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. One is a works-based system, one is based on grace. Why did they call him some weird names? You know, why did they say he's this this babbler? Here's why. Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. That's why. You know, think about this for a moment. John chapter 14, verse 6, in our day and age, is a very controversial text. 
It says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's a very absolute message. You know what's interesting? I read a stat the other day that said around 70% of born-again Christians in a certain age demographic do not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. 70%? That's a major difference. If you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, there's no other way. You're lost. You're not going to get there apart from what God has provided through his son. Some of you this morning might be asking me, David, why are you so passionate about India? Well, is it because you're Indian? Well, that's part of it. But generations ago, around the 1800s, missionaries came to where my family lived in India, who were outright pagans, they heard the gospel, and I am standing here before you today because of that spiritual legacy that happened generations ago. Because somebody was faithful, right? Amen. Somebody was faithful, and they said, we need to go and declare the gospel to a people that don't know Jesus. But can I tell you, in 2021, the stats are still sobering. For instance, I want you to think about these two words, lost and unreached. A person that is lost doesn't know Jesus, but yet they have access to a gospel community. So if there's someone in Brunswick today that is lost, they still have access to First Baptist Church or some many other church. But then there's people around the world who are unreached. And let me break this definition down for you here for a second. Take a look at this map. This is from the IMB 2020. It is the global status of evangelical Christianity. Red dots represent less than 1% Christian, uh, uh, Christianity represented in that nation. You, you'll notice China is green, right? It's about 10% or so. But look at India. It is less than 1% or 1% of Christians that are there in that country. And what do I mean when I say that people are unreached? Here's what it means. They have never heard of Jesus. They don't know a Christian. They have no access to a Bible and no church in the community. Let me give you some perspective on this for a second. Take a look at this next map. Anybody recognize this next map here? Where do you think that is? That's right here. If there's a lost person in this community, they are within a 5, 10, 15 minute drive to some type of Christian community where they can hear the gospel. And yet in India, there are 400 million people who have never heard the name of Jesus. That's the population of the United States Add another 70 to 80 million. 400 million people that have never heard the name of Jesus, over a billion that are lost on their way to eternal separation. You know, what's also sobering about India is that India is number 10 in the world in terms of the nations that persecute Christians the most. How many of you have ever heard of the 1040 window, right? It's that part of the world, this little strip, where there is intense persecution all around the world. But you know what's also a little bit encouraging about it? is this 1040 window is where Christians are persecuted the most. It is also where Christianity is growing the fastest. Now that's interesting because I, when I read my Bible, Jesus does talk about persecution, right? He, he talks about dying to yourself. 
India is number 10 in the world. So let me share with you a couple of stats here. In India, an average of 40 persecution incidents are reported every single month in India, according to Open Doors. 60% of Christians in India experience direct persecution. Can I tell you something, this, and this is just for the church in America, someone disagreeing with your Facebook posts about politics or COVID does not count as persecution. Amen? These are people that are thrown into prison, that are beaten, their churches are burned down. There are women whose husbands divorce them and they don't allow their wives to see their children because they have trusted Christ. In 2021, there are believers around the world who are experiencing direct persecution, but it is also where the gospel is growing the fastest. So ask yourself this question. How is it that the gospel grows in places that are persecuted? Here's why. Because Christianity stands out in a place that is so secular and against the message that the Bible has. You know, I think about the fact that in our country in the last year and a half, it has rocked us to our core because we've had issues with social unrest, we've dealt with COVID, we've dealt with politics, and we're all of a sudden asking, well, what is God doing? Where is God? And you know why we ask that? Because we've always known the gospel through the lens of comfort, never through the lens of persecution and duress. And if you've been praying, Lord, let your kingdom expand in America, you know what's going to happen? It's going to come with a price. You're not going to have friends in the government. You're not going to have friends all around you. Christians will be persecuted. But when persecution takes place, know that God is bringing about a revival. And that's what he's doing all around the world. The places that are the most persecuted is where Christianity is growing the fastest. The question is, what do you really want God to do? Look at verse 19. And I'll move through this here. It says this, And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing some strange thing to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. They, they take him to this place called Mars Hill. It's a place where there's a lot of civil, criminal, and religious matters that are settled. So they, they take him up to Mars Hill, and here's what happens. Verse 21 says, For all the Athenians and foreigners who are there spend their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. Here's what this new thing means. If it was new and it was becoming presently stale, they crave something still more new. Does that describe our culture, by the way? We, we realize that we are never satisfied. We get bored. We want something new to entice us and to excite us. You, you want to know what action that I can illustrate to you to show that we are bored? Here it is. What am I doing? I'm holding a, and we just scroll all day long. We're bored. We're looking for something new and exciting. Oh, I saw that video last week. I want to see something new. Oh, they posted a picture at this location. I want to see something new. A new article, a new fitness video. We're never satisfied. You know why we're never satisfied? Because apart from God, we will never be satisfied. The things of this world are temporary. And some of you think that just because I get a nice house or a nice car or a new job promotion, I'll be satisfied. Give it a couple months, you'll get tired of it. 
Because what only God can do is satisfy us through his son. Look at John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, says this. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, the physical water, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Can I tell you that only Jesus can satisfy? Only Jesus can give you what you need. It is what Paul is declaring to a place where they're debating new ideas and new things. Look at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, and perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. He continues, Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Take a look at this next picture. This is an actual place in India where people are making idols. And then they worship it. This is people, over a billion people in a nation that sit there and make an idol supposedly that represents some aspect of the deity within the Hindu structure And then they end up ultimately worshiping it. You know what Paul is saying? Look at all of these idols. The God that I worship is not made with man's hands. And then he says something even more profound. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now there's something significant in these verses. First thing is this is that he's referencing here Adam and Eve as the one blood, and then he talks about the surrounding events around the Tower of Babel and the fact that God spreads spreads the people out all over the earth. Now, I want you to catch on to one particular statement in verse 26, and here it is. It says, And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. I want to ask a question this morning. How many of you had a choice where you would be born? Raise your hand. Do you realize you could have been born in Afghanistan? You could have been one of the 400 million people that didn't know Jesus that could have been born in India. You could have been born in a whole lot of destitute circumstances, but for some reason in God's sovereignty and grace, he saw you fit to be here at First Baptist Church and to hear the gospel and be on your way to heaven. Can I tell you it has nothing to do with you? It has everything to do with his grace. So the next time you start thinking you're somebody, you think you're somebody important, you think you've achieved a lot, you ain't nothing apart from God's grace intervening in your life. That is what Paul is trying to say, that we are not here just by chance, but that God has the one that in his sovereign plan has scattered the people all over the earth, and he scattered them for this one particular reason, verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord. You know, I I jumped over this one slide here. There's a slide here that is uh, the caste system in India, if we were able to pull that up. In India, people live according to the caste system, and here's what it means is that if you're at the very low end of society, you're going to be designated with certain chores like cleaning toilets and cleaning uh, the streets. But the higher up you are, you have more significance in society. 
And so there, there's these people that are living day to day based on this type of segregation that takes place in their nation according to this worldview. So people that are on the lower end will sometimes never receive help because people on the higher end of the caste system don't want to mess up their karma and so they let those people be as they are. Happening all around India and the Apostle Paul says this, why does God spread out the people all around the world? Here's why. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being As also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. You know, there's there's a verse in Scripture that I find much encouragement in, and that's Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Here's what it says. John writes, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can't you wait for that one day in heaven where you get to see millions upon millions upon millions of people from all different tribes, tongues, and nations worshiping before the throne room of heaven and just understanding the significance of the gospel going to the nations. You know, how do we as Mission India bring hope to India in reaching unreached people groups? Well, we do it through training church planners. Uh, There's a class of 10 church planners typically that are taught over a year how to disciple, uh, how to go and plant churches, and they go into these unreached areas and share the gospel. And there's churches starting all over India because Mission India is able to train these church planners. We also work through adult literacy. We train uh, and we teach adults to get to a fifth grade education level where you teach them entrepreneurship. But we use the Bible as a textbook to show them how to read and write. And I'll have a cool story for you at the end. And then we also do children's Bible clubs. Basically, this is VBS on steroids. This is a class of 200 kids that are tutored, that are discipled, that we play games with them, but we ultimately share the gospel with them. That's how we reach the unreached places in India. Let let me close out by sharing this. The Apostle Paul also shared a Christ-centered gospel. You know, look at verse 30, how he concludes. He says this, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Hebrews 9.27 says this, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. You know, Mission India has a pretty significant history. Over the last 40 years, Mission India has planted 170,000 churches throughout India. Their goal is to plant 170,000 churches in the next 10 years. You know, last year, everyone went through COVID globally, but even with the midst of a national shutdown that happened in India, three million people came to Christ through Indian Christians sharing the gospel. Let, let me close up with this story. You'll notice here there's three men on the, on the screen here. 
During lockdown last year, India, you know, they gave, the government gave four hours for everyone to return to their homes. So you had a lot of day laborers that were working in the cities and they had to hurry back to their hometown. So during the shutdown, a place that was also closed were temples. So people couldn't go and offer sacrifices in the temple. They couldn't give the priest any money. Well, the gentleman on the far right in the red shirt, black jacket, he's one of our staff, and as he's going back and forth to work, he notices this group of priests uh, that don't have any money. They're begging, they're starving, they're on the side of the road, and he decides to engage with them in a conversation. Well, come to find out, the gentleman in the pink shirt, he's what is known as a Brahmin priest. The Brahmins are at the very top of the caste system. He engaged in a conversation with him, and Mission India provided relief Basically, for $40, you can uh, do one month of food and hygiene products for a family of four. So we decided to intervene and help this priest out. This priest oversees, he has about 1,000 priests that he oversees that he's in charge of. He was so touched by this act of generosity, he came to our staff and said, hey, I'd love to have your adult literacy program implemented with our priests that we're training because many of them are illiterate. Here's the issue. We use the Bible as a textbook to teach people how to read and write. So these priests are going to be taught the Bible. Here's, here's a cool thing about this, though. This opportunity would never have opened up had COVID not hit the nation. You know, you ask yourself, is God working? He's working, but he's not working the way that you think he is. The question is, am I willing to have spiritual eyes that are open enough to see God's intervention all around the world? But it simply can't happen on its own. Mission India truly desires your prayer uh, to come alongside of us and just to see these places reached with the gospel. I'll be in the back, uh, answer any of your questions. We have books that we're giving away for free, but please be in prayer for Mission India as we reach unreached places around the world. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, I thank you for this time this morning, Lord, just to share a little bit about what you're doing around the world, about the fact that you're continuing to reach unreached people in a place like India, in places all over the Middle East, all around the world. Father, I pray that we would truly have hearts of gratitude uh, to understand how privileged we are to know the good news to have accepted the good news, and to know that we're in right standing with you. Father, I pray for First Baptist Church Brunswick, Lord. May you use them in an incredible way uh, as they seek to reach out, Lord, to the uttermost parts of the world and even to their community. Uh, Lord, may you uh, just give Pastor Chris your wisdom, your discernment, Lord. Fill him with your passion uh, as he guides his staff, as he guides this church to be more gospel-centric in their worldview. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. For I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.